electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. starts with another earnings bonanza. Four major companies reporting moments ago their conference calls getting ready to kick off. We've got full team coverage. Deidre Bosa on Amazon, Josh Lipton on Microsoft, Aditi Roy on Intel, Eric Chemi covering Starbucks. Plus, Fast Money friend and Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster manning the red phone, getting ready to jump on that red phone in just about 30 minutes. He'll join us throughout the hour to give us the latest details from the Amazon call. And that is exactly where we start tonight. Check out that stock going parabolic after hours, crushing earnings, touching an all-time high after the big beat, gaining approximately $50 billion in market cap in just the past hour. So is this quarter a reminder that Amazon is still the king of the jungle? And is it uh, in the other fang <laughs> names about to become must-own stocks again? Guy. Tarzan and everybody else is Jane. Not to, again, cast aspersions, but the Amazon. And what I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> you know, you've been with me a long time. Most times I'm wrong. But I will tell you that ever since President Trump started tweeting about Amazon, one of the first things we said is you have heard not one word from Jeff Bezos. The only time you heard from him was about a week and a half ago when they said we're up to 100 million Prime subscribers. And I said, I'm telling you right now, they are going to absolutely smoke earnings because they can. Look at operating margins up 3.8 percent. The street was looking for 2 percent. They did it because they could. Do you still own it here? I say yes. AWS revenue up 49%. Right. So, so this is a really important point. This is a company that just printed $51 billion in sales. About 10% of that was AWS, okay? And that was up 49%, like you said, year over year. That was a disproportionate amount of their profits, okay? So when you think about all that they're spending right now, I think their uh, global shipping costs were up 38% year over year, okay? That they're spending for that retail, which is pretty unprofitable. When you have AWS growing like that, and all we heard all quarter, or for the last couple quarters, how Google's gaining on them, how Microsoft's gaining on them, the pie is getting bigger. These guys are maintaining share. Um, and that profitability within AWS is allowing for this unprofitable sales on the retail front. Well, and again, it was supposed to be 45%. So, I mean, right. that's significantly yep. stronger. And again, it's not like these were easy comps. And if anything, that's, that's almost an upshift for, for the segment. That's the highest profit margin part of their business. Growing the top line, 51% is extraordinary. Again, that is well above expectations. You know, to me, I, I think the overhang from the regulatory side is something that's um, you know, I think you can overdo it a little bit as well. I mean, I think at the end of the day, as much as even I have said, I think there are ways you could go after Amazon on an antitrust basis. And, and I won't get into it, but I, I think there's, there's, a, there's an argument to be made that GDPR is also something they have to worry about. And again, all this European re regulation coming down upon them. But the sentiment, amazingly, in the stock took a major turn, despite the fact that the fundamentals have never been better. Uh, and, and actually, they're putting themselves in a position, despite shipping costs, I think, to start increasing margins. Yeah. What do you think, Karen? I, I mean, I think it's interesting that in the last, I don't know, week or 10 days, we haven't, maybe a week, we haven't seen a tweet from the president about Amazon. So that's allowed them to lay low a little bit, which is really good for them. As Guy pointed out, him saying absolutely nothing was, it turned out, absolutely correct. And he had a gigantic quarter to announce. I don't think it should have a lot of regulatory pressure in the stock, really. I think that that ship has sailed. It, he's dis the president is distracted by other things right now. 
I don't think there should be any discount on it for that. But extraordinary quarter. And great that we're finally looking at earnings earnings, right. not all the other kind of noise around the world, but earnings for the market. Sure. I mean, it was interesting. You said we, we had not heard from Jeff Bezos when it comes to I think we actually heard from Jeff Bezos in a shareholder letter in response to Trump. And that was not mentioning Trump or regulation <laughs> once in that entire right. whatever 12 page shareholder letter that he had. Yeah. His but, silence spoke but, volumes. volumes. But here's a conspiracy theorist. Oh, I like this okay. game. Amazon stock, all time highs in the after hour session, adding $50 billion in market cap, just like that. Does President Trump knock it back down exactly. with a tweet tonight? And the, the short answer is he, maybe he'll give it a shot. Look at the Amazon quarter. They're not paying their fair share of taxes, and we need to do something here. That could happen, Dan. Yeah. You know, make, well, I don't think it will so, have but, the but, same so, deleterious effect that it had last time. But if time. anyone has a brain and you see a tweet like that from this anyone lunatic in the White House, Investors, say to yourself, this Investors. is a company that's investing in their business. They're putting people to work. They're going to have this second headquarters. They're going to hire 50,000 people, right? I mean, they're not paying taxes uh, because they're reinvesting in their business. I want to make one other point. Tim Cook, who actually might have been one of the biggest Apple, one of the biggest beneficiaries of this tax cut uh, last December, He's in the White House yesterday. You know what I mean? So, and, and Bezos, he don't care. He's like, you know what I mean? Like, he's not responding. What do you mean? I don't like understand. That. What I'm saying is, is like, Cook being Tim Cook has to couch out of the president. That's what I'm saying. Jeff Bezos doesn't. That's well, so, so you're, I think you're saying it's overdone. I, I think the shipping costs are overdone, too. I mean, the reality is these guys are setting the market, and I think these guys are in a position to push the market around. But um, their United Natural Foods business is important. Uh, remember, the reason they did that Whole Foods deal is because they want to compete and dominate in the consumables business, and they're crushing it. And, again, I think this is very bad news for Target. I think it's very bad news for Walmart. I think it's for all those guys that are trying to play in this space as well. I think competition is fierce. You know, I think Dan makes an interesting point about the importance of, of you don't even know, I, I, I know. Are you surprised? I'll give you a menu. I made a lot okay. of interesting points. Sorry. The, the one point that I found the most interesting, let's put okay. it that way, um, was about AWS and the importance to you know to Amazon of AWS. But that also gives them deeper pockets, right, to bankroll other businesses that may not be so obvious, like right. buying a grocer, right. <laughs> or buying something else, investing more in planes or. Airplane yeah. Sometimes a team or, gets or carried by. Right. And so what the impact to a Walmart, to the targets of the world, to the cult, you know what I mean? The, the knock-on effects of them having such deep pockets is that they can spend, 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 and not make money in other parts of the well, business and put other people out of business. That's Look, you can't stop. You can only hope to contain Amazon. And bottom line is that's what they've been doing. I mean, who spent for five years, almost 10 years, so much in logistics and procurement and ERP and warehousing, and no one knew what was going on? Meanwhile, no one can duplicate that footprint right now. Yeah. Well, they've been really rich for a long time and have sure, had sure. access to a lot of money for a long time. It is fascinating to see how they just... Pick industries, go after it, go after it. Sometimes they leave them for dead and we don't remember it, you know? Right. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with this healthcare thing with JP Morgan and Berkshire, whether that actually becomes a business. I don't know. Remember, AWS just started seven I, years I just, ago and now it's. I, I want to make a point about AWS. Obviously, this shift towards, you know, um, towards these cloud providers in the public uh, sphere is, is obviously a massive secular shift, and it's growing, and the pie is growing, and the, as a competition, they're still maintaining their share, like we just talked about. This is a massively commoditized product. At some point in the next decade, this thing is not only going to 
plateau, it's going to go X growth, and it's not nearly going to be as profitable when you have IBM, you have Oracle, you have all these other old tech guys trying to get in on the action. So I the agree, only but that's thing been is, the argument for two years Karen, against you know the listen, AW. Listen, that's, 20 years ago, there was a company called Exodus Communications, which was basically doing the same thing. And when all the startups went under, okay, in the tech rack, in the, in the dot-com boom, Exodus went bust, all right, because they had a bunch of server farm and a bunch of servers, and they didn't have any customers. So, oh, are you, are you they telling me this is not something, because you were just talking about it from a positive event, you're saying it's something they can't It's a fantastic secular shift that's going on. It's probably one of the biggest in computing in the last 20 years. But it's only got so years. much runway. It's only but, got but, so, so but, but listen, dude, we just saw this. Google, listen, I just Amazon just did more AWS sales in the quarter than Google just did in the trailing 12 months, okay? But it's coming, and people like the growth that Google has. People like the growth that Microsoft has. They're going to start liking the growth that but IBM you like has, stock, that Oracle I can't tell has, what you're that Baidu has. What I'm saying what, is, is like, saying? it's not going to last forever, and at some point, when those margins start declining and they start losing share, then we're going to get back to, oh, yeah, online retail is not a particularly profitable Next 12 business. months, though. It's going to be great. How's that, guys? No, but they, they, they always like, care oh, about no. margins. Largely, let's be clear. They, they haven't cared in the last AWS seven years. AWS has been great, but it's not been ever about margins for Amazon. It's been about the top line, and that top line today was insane. But, but the top line has been important because they've been able to grow sales at 40% a clip, okay, for the last you know, five years or whatever, because they had the margin from AWS, because they were a first mover, and because they nailed the secular shift. Switching gears here, sort of. We sh we're showing the FANG stocks across the board. Oh, you're going to play a would-you-rather game. Sort of would-you-rather-rather-rather. But of the FANG stocks... Facebook, Amazon... Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Facebook, Amazon, The most Netflix, interesting one... Google. So if you want... So, well, given the moves of everything we just saw yeah, right yeah. now, right here in the... Right here Alphabet. Yeah. Alphabet. Alphabet. Alphabet, because I think it's the most compelling at these levels on valuation. Interesting. Tim? Alphabet. Um, and, and again, to me, Alphabet is a company that, despite regulatory overhang, and I think they've got as much as anybody if people want to go after them. And I think, by the way, look, they're paying the European Commission. They're paying their dues. I think they're going to work with everybody and be fine. Uh, but they have more businesses to me that are less monetized. YouTube's exciting. That's not a very high margin business, by the way. But I think Google is the best valuation by far. Netflix, you know how I feel about that. I would be running for cover. It was, it was a would you rather. It wasn't like a pine on all four. It was. Anyway. <laughs> wasn't it? You guys are like... I played it right. I played it right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, Lump me discussion. in. But let's get some rather. instant earnings analysis, get to the chart master. Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro, he's over at the Plasma. Hey, Carter, what do you make of Amazon? Yeah, I mean, incredible stuff. What's telling is that whereas industrials all were poor reaction to their earnings, banks, it's the opposite with tech, of course. Um, let's go through the big three today that have reported. This is the interesting thing. It hit it high right after the print of, of 1641. And now look where it's trading 16.15. Now remember that number 16.15, and let's look at the chart. Um, the all-time high was 16.17. It was a Tuesday, March 13th. So I think you're going to get a Netflix-type reaction, which we're going to struggle to make a new high. Netflix gapped up impressively, but has subsequently fallen back. So sort of in a buy-sell-hold sort of thing, I'm in the camp that you take some profits into this move. We've, we're just too far above trend, and I think it'll get to the high back and fill and not progress. Um, moving on. Now, this, in a way, is the best of the bunch, meaning in terms of the reaction. It is making an all-time high. So 57.20, if you look at the chart, uh, this is the interesting thing. Is this catch-up finish? And what I mean by that is this was the lagger compared to all semis, and it spent all this time over the past year and a half not progressing, and it is just now having broken out over the past year. It's really not steep. So we're printing clear new highs. I think this follows through. Um, finally, Microsoft. 
and also I like this one of uh, so two of the three anyway for tomorrow trading higher um, down quite aggressively holding now onch if you will but the thing that appeals to me is as distinct from Amazon this is still very much sort of on trend it never got quite so steep so any opening weakness I'm inclined to buy Microsoft. Carter comes over. He has to. Yeah. Oh, Carter, come on over. Ryan will bring the chair in. No questions. What he's Thank you, do. Ryan. <laughs> I'll put Would You Rather with you. Oh. What's, the best, uh, what's the best chart? I think the, so I think the sleeper is going to be Intel. Right? It, it lagged by so much, it, it will get into your area. The fundamentals is probably the cheapest. Um, I would say that's going to be the most surprise. Again, I think uh, Amazon will be quite like Netflix. It was very encouraging. That fade. And right at the prior high, I mean, to think about that, to go to 1641 and now to be at 1615, the prior high is 1670, I think it'll fight at that. Um, and, and then Microsoft is sort of the, maybe the, the, the sort of slowest moving, but I also like that one. Hey, let me just go back for Intel, which is surprisingly one we've all agreed on was the one to own in the space. I, I saw your chart. Where do you think it could go? Right. So the prior high, which was only on the 18th of April, just uh, days ago, was sort of 5450. We're printing 5758. If you look at the long-term base, and we've looked at that on the show before, I know, Dan, you've had it on, um, there's plenty more to go, I would say, into the low 60s. Uh, Carter, so let's talk about this. Amazon's making new highs. Amazon was one of the first mega-cap stocks to make a new high after that February sell-off, um, and obviously the Nasdaq came back and made a new high. We are much lower now, though. Even though you have Intel, you have Microsoft near those highs, Facebook, Apple not doing it, Netflix did, doesn't really matter, much smaller and all those. Can we have those stocks making highs that we're just talking about right now, can we have the Nasdaq remain in a, in a range and not make a right. new high? Right, I mean, that's really the interesting thing is you think about it, what determines the whole is the parts, and we've heard from a lot of the parts. After moves like this, we're nowhere near the highs in the Nasdaq 100. At that point, it infer, you want to infer that those highs are in. So my my, my question is really, are we one step forward, two steps back in this whole thing? If you think about 2018 right now, are we making a lot of ground here, or are we just going to churn for the or balance? Is it, or is it a goalpost trade? Because you talk about right. this all the time, and I would argue that, that that's really the market we're in, and you still have some room on the queues to trade this higher. Right. I mean, uh, here, let's just talk about the two sectors that are leading on the year, and may put it in this context. We know number one is consumer discretion, up some 4.5%. And right behind it is tech. But here's the real distinction. The consumer discretion of the sector is up 4.5, but the equal weight is down 1%. Whereas in tech, the equal weight and the actual weight are even, meaning tech has a much broader mm -hmm. um, participation rate in terms of its strength. My hunch is that still, if you get down to the growth value, you don't want to be in financials, industrials. You want to favor idiosyncratic growth, which is dominated by tech. I agree with Carter. Real quick, I know we're going to go by him, but in terms of valuation, Intel's the most compelling. Pete's been on this. Brian Kazanich has done an amazing job. He happens to think it's a $70 stock. Obviously, he's the CEO, but you know what? He actually might be right, too. All right. Carter, thank you. Thanks, guys. Carter Worth. Coming up, our team is standing by monitoring the two big after-hours calls, which are just about to kick off. Deidre Bosa and Josh Lifton will bring us the latest comments from the C-suites of Amazon and Microsoft. Plus, there's more. Starbucks, Intel, Expedia, all on the move after-hours. We're going to bring you the latest details on those names as well. And later, say it ain't so, the former CEO of PayPal is sounding the alarm on Bitcoin, saying it is the greatest scam in history. Wow. He joins us for an exclusive Brutal. interview about his controversial call. You're watching Fast Money live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to 
Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Expedia. Let's get to Seema Modi in the newsroom for the details. Seema. So, Melissa, Expedia rebounding after hours thanks to stronger-than-expected bookings. It's a sign that its spend on marketing may be starting to pay off. The street is also excited by its growth in HomeAway, Expedia's competitor to Airbnb, which saw a 46% year-over-year jump in gross bookings. And CEO Mark Okerstrom is confident that there's more room to grow. HomeAway's online and reported gross bookings to $10 billion on a trailing 12-month basis. A nice milestone as the team continues to make great strides in transitioning to a true e-commerce business. It's still early days and we have lots of work to do, but we continue to see a tremendous opportunity ahead in the $120 billion alternative accommodation space. While shares are higher by 9% in extended trade, Expedia has been the underdog in the online travel race, and that's primarily due to the increase in costs as it tries to play catch-up to industry-leader booking holdings and invest more in the vacation rental space as Airbnb continu continues to expand into new markets, specifically in Asia. Also worth noting that since Dara Khosrowshahi left Expedia to become CEO of Uber, shares are down at nearly 20%. One pain point continues to be Trivago, which Expedia is a big shareholder in. Challenges there continue, as we saw in yesterday's results. Also, later this year, sources close to CBC say Expedia's contract with Marriott is set to expire, where the hotel chain will likely negotiate for lower commission fees. That, of course, could hurt margins. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Seema Modi. If I'm um, a Marriott or another hotel chain, I'm wondering, why do I need Expedia? I personally use Expedia to showroom. I look at the prices, then I go direct to the hotel site. Yeah, I do, too. And, and, I, and I like Marriott, too. And I like Marriott, as you can imagine, because of their global business right now on a rev par. So they're growing 4.6%. If you looked at their numbers in the last quarter, that's the best in the universe. And on EBITDA, these guys continue to... They're consolidating the space. And right now, I think they're the highest growth name in that space. Yeah. Karen, I mean, in terms of consumer spending, we're in a pretty good spot here. We are in a good spot, though. I'm surprised that the Marriott's have actually done as well as they have. I would have thought we would have seen a much, much more effect from... Um, the Airbnb, Airbnb you know, right. like when you look at what's happened to the rental car companies, why have we not seen that much effect in, in those companies? I don't know. I, I wouldn't be long them here. Yeah. Expedia to me is a relief rally off. It's probably an oversold condition from last summer. I think it was $140 stock. But the question is, at what point does Marriott, which is probably close to 22 times now forward earnings, at what point is that too expensive? Mm -hmm. To your point, I mean, does it deserve that valuation in the world that we find ourselves in? Apparently, yes, but I'm not for sure how much longer. Remember, uh, booking holdings is priceline. I, I think uh, Expedia <laughs> is a totally fine here. And, I mean, you can make all these kind of qualitative judgments sure. about what it is or what it's not. I mean, it's obviously a big lead gen sort of thing. Um, but, you know, this thing is trading 20 times, 19 times next year, double-digit earnings and sales growth. So, to me, you know, they just got off losing the CEO to Uber, who people thought was an absolute star. Let's give them a little time here. Um, but, to me, this one seems fine. Still ahead. We are all over those after hours movers, and we're going to hear from the C suites of Amazon and Microsoft in just a few moments. We'll bring you those details. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Mom! Dad! It's evil! Don't touch it! That's what the former CEO of PayPal is calling Bitcoin. And he'll tell us why in an explosive interview. Plus, it's the question every investor wants to know. Are you the key master? No, not that question. They want to know how much a stock is going to move on earnings. 
and we'll tell you how to figure that out when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. There is one area of the Bitcoin market that's booming, and it could be pointing to new signs of life for the cryptocurrency. Bob Pisani is breaking it down at the NYSE. Hi, Bob. That's right, Melissa. Futures trading is picking up. Bitcoin futures trading started in December on the CME and the CBOE. Yesterday saw a record day for trading Bitcoin futures at the CME, which traded over 11,000 contracts. And at the CBO, which traded 19,000 contracts. Open interest, which is the number of contracts outstanding, hit 2,300 at the CME, also a new record. So what's going on? Well, some of the volume is being driven by the roll, as we call it. This is the April contract for the CME expiring on Friday. But there also appears to be increasing interest in trading Bitcoin futures over in Asia. CME said that 50 percent of the trading volume yesterday was traded before regular U.S. trading hours. Now, this does not look like a one-day event. Trading in the CME's Bitcoin futures have been increasing every month since trading began in December. And even at the SIBO, March was the strongest month, though April is a little bit weaker. The bottom line is this. Trading in Bitcoin futures has been creeping up almost every month, and the contracts seem to be settling with very few, if any, issues. Now, this is a very good sign. Still, don't kid yourself. Trading volumes in futures are a fraction of trading in Bitcoin itself. In April, volume in Bitcoin itself routinely exceeds 600,000 on a daily basis. Still, the trend looks like it's moving in the right direction. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Bob Pisani. Um, Tim, what do you make of this pickup in, in futures trading? Well, I, look, that, that is what we're all talking about in terms of the institutional audience and, and the more legitimate audience. And I'll say the other trend that's very impressive is the chart. I mean, if you look at the deck 19 high and that downtrend from there, you actually around 8,000, you got through that trend. And you're, you're you know, it's with, with Bitcoin, it's going to be volatile, but you're largely holding that 200 day. And, and I know that that's not necessarily the only thing to be looking at. But I think the price action, and again, you are above, you've broken that downtrend. And at 9,900, it's a very key level right here. All right. Well, Bitcoin futures may be booming, but our next guest says that uh, it is a scam. In an huh. op-ed for Recode this week, former PayPal CEO Bill Harris called the cryptocurrency, quote, the greatest scam in history, noting that it is a pump and dump scheme unlike anything the world has ever seen. How does he really feel? Bill Harris joins us now from San Francisco to stand by these claims. Bill, great to have you with us. Hey, how are you? Good, thanks. Um, you know, reading through this op-ed, it's sort of the, the bear case, the critics case that has been put forth for a long time. It's a, not accepted as a means of payment. There's no store value because of the volatility in price. It has no intrinsic value. Is it possible, though, Bill, that perhaps Bitcoin has not yet found its use as a cryptocurrency yet and that we're looking at the United States where there are numerous ways of digital payment and, and the use of dollars is is reliable and good, and we're not looking at other markets that need an alternative currency such as the emerging markets. Well, sure, but even in emerging markets, um, might as well use dollars, euros, or existing currencies um, if the local currency is uh, subject to hyperinflation. You are out there in Silicon Valley, and you, you probably hear a lot of the venture capitalists expound on the virtues of Bitcoin and blockchain, et cetera. Is there anything about yes. this that you think is not a scam, or do you think that everybody's just sort of drinking the Kool-Aid? Well, yeah, so there's a lot that's not a scam. But yes, everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid. I think, you know, just a couple of days ago, somebody relatively prominent said, uh, Bitcoin is bigger than the Internet, bigger than the Industrial Revolution. 
Was serious. that Tim Draper? <laughs> Uh, well, I didn't want to mention his name, but yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, hi, Bill. It's Karen. You know, and he's, he's also he's also saying that in four years it'll appreciate to the point where the Bitcoin or all all uh, well Bitcoin and all cyber uh, or cryptocurrencies will be worth uh, about half of the entire S and P 500. You know, there's just there's no relation uh, between uh, value and usefulness. And on the usefulness side, let me just, you know, there's, there's the currency, like Bitcoin, and then there's the technology, like blo uh, blockchain. Blockchain technology has terrific applications, including financial transactions. But we don't need a new currency to do it. And by the way, there's no reason that a new currency should instantly have, um, uh, you know, billions of dollars of value. Bill, it's Karen. Let me ask something. I read your piece. I, I agree with almost everything you said on the ICO market, but Bitcoin itself, a lot of the arguments you made, one can make them for gold, and yet gold exists as a part of people's portfolio. You can't really transact very well in it. You can transact much easier in Bitcoin, and it's only a store of value. It does, it's not as volatile, but it's been around a lot longer. And then, I mean, these are, these are properties that Bitcoin has as well, and people think of it as an asset class, which Bitcoin is sort of emerging as. So how do you differentiate between gold and Bitcoin? Well, you know, I think similarly, gold is, uh, yes, an asset, but uh, not something that generates revenue or profits. It's just something that sits there. And um, it's got a long history of being something that uh, people will look to uh, for stability. And in fact, it has reasonable stability in price, at least at least vis-a-vis -vis something like Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, um, you know, where does the value come from? Well, if, it, if it's not a... a, a an effective means of payment. If it's not a great store of value, and I don't think it is either one of those things, because at, in at very least the volatility, well then what makes it valuable? Uh, people say scarcity. You know, there's no more than 21 million Bitcoin that will ever be uh, minted. Fine. You know, I can, I, my autograph is scarce. I can <laughs> promise that I will never autograph a piece of paper more than 21 million times, but it doesn't make it valuable. Um, well, the network effect could make it valuable, right? And if you think about, um, you know, oh, listen, I, you know, we could sit here and go back and forth on that. I, I just want to ask you a quick question, Bill. Um, Jack Dorsey, obviously yeah. the founder of Square, uh, recently said he thinks the world's going to have a single currency and he thinks it's going to be Bitcoin. But more importantly, he said the Internet's going to have a single currency. Isn't there some truth to the potential for that if you think of digital age that we are kind of immersing in and how important money is in that? Well, sure. I absolutely believe that, um, that money should be digital, is becoming more digital, and will be effectively completely digital. Um, doesn't mean we need a new currency to record that. All right. Um, Bill, thanks for your time. It's fascinating to hear your, your thoughts on Bitcoin, especially as a former CEO of PayPal. <laughs> Bill Harris from San Francisco. Let's trade this. And I want to get to that notion that you can be a fan of the blockchain but not endorse Bitcoin. How do you maintain that distributed ledger, if there's no incentive uh, for the miners out there, there's no way to reward people for investing in, this, in the software, investing in the system and, and mining. I mean, there's no, otherwise blockchain just becomes an enclosed system, doesn't it? Well, I, I think we can be critical of Bitcoin as the vehicle, but not necessarily uh, be critical of blockchain. And, and certainly the, you know, what everyone is in agreement on and what Bill was a, a pioneer on is essentially digital transmission of money. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I think that's a valuable view. I, I, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't fight someone saying, I don't think Bitcoin's the horse. But to say that, you know, this isn't happening and that digital currencies aren't 
real value and they aren't being exchanged. I just don't know that Bitcoin's the one. Um, we've got a news alert here, so we want to interrupt. Uh, Sprint and T-Mobile news. Jackie DeAngelis in the newsroom with the details. Jackie. Hey, Melissa. Well, T-Mobile and Sprint uh, are making progress, negotiating their merger terms, aiming to successfully complete a deal potentially as early as next week. This is according to people familiar with the matter uh, coming off the Reuters headlines. You can see the stock uh, Sprint actually is moving after hours uh, up about 6.5%. Okay. Thank you very much, Jackie DeAngelis. What, what does this mean for competition within the space when you narrow down well, the number of players? Well, it's fascinating. So last night we talked about AT&T. We had a long conversation. 32 was on the show last night. That's David Seberg, folks. Okay. And we talked about basically draw the line in the sand at $33. And that's effectively where the stock closed. But now you look at it, it's up in the after hours. So if you're looking for, in my opinion, risk reward off this headline with an easy stop to the downside, it's AT&T. In terms of the, what this means for the sector, I mean, we had been in a, a real period of deflation when it comes to wireless, right? Your bills are going down, essentially. Fewer players out there means what? It means that there's less competition. Could these guys get some pricing power back for Verizon, AT&T? Or maybe lose it less quickly. I don't know. Okay. Or you could look at also the tower stocks. This isn't great for them. you got a bigger competitor who has more pricing Except power that you have them. this massive upgrade to 5G. I mean, that's the bull case for tower stocks, and it won't matter if there's three or four guys, right? So to me, like, that's probably the better way to play wireless right now. I think you have to go back to see the comments that AT&T had about upgrades and, and, and basically the cycle for wireless. It's very, very mature, saturated. Um, to me, those two need to combine. We've been talking about this, it seems like, for three years, and they're ultimately going to have to. AT&T's already moved on. They, they have what they need. Now they're going for content and distribution. Regulatory? problems, headwinds here? Well, again, they've, they've gone out of their way to point out how they're not. And, and I'm not sure that the measuring stick within the regulators is what's real or not. Uh, by the way, Verizon and AT&T are up by just about a percent. AT&T, though, hit a six-month low in today's session off the back of their earnings. Mm -hmm. uh, coming up, it is a busy night for earnings here on Fast Money. Amazon, Microsoft, Intel, Starbucks, all on the move after hours. Amazon, though, the big one, up 6%, touching all-time highs. That conference call just starting. Gene Munster, you see there, standing by on the red phone. He's all fired up about the quarter. We'll hear from him later this hour. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Starbucks is falling after Arizona. Down almost 2% right now. Eric Chami's back at headquarters with the latest from the call. Eric. That's right, Melissa. You can see after hours, Starbucks down about 2%. That gives up all the gains it had made today, which had been all the gains Starbucks had made the whole month. So now it's back to unchanged for the month. CEO Kevin Johnson talked about their biggest growth area right now is in China, where they saw 4% comparable year-over-year -year, uh, sales growth there. And he talked about trying to grow that Chinese coffee culture. We continue to mindfully evolve a coffee culture in China where the reward will be healthy, long-term profitable growth for decades to come. And actually, he will be on CNBC tomorrow morning right around the opening bell at 930. So you're going to want to check that out. Melissa, back to you. All right, uh, Eric, thank you. Eric Chemi back at headquarters. Uh, you're a shareholder, Tim. Yeah, I'm not too worried about these numbers. I think the comps are really tough. And, and, you know, I look at the valuation in the stock, which has largely done nothing over the last, you know, year, year and a half. Um, it, it, you know, it, 20 times uh, forward, it's, you know, it's, it's attractive to me. And again, it, it, to me, it's a very consistent company with multiple sales channels and multiple buttons to push. And I, you know, I, I'm, I, 
I'm not so reliant on China as I think this makes it sound like it. But you know what's really interesting? We talk about these FANG stocks and their inability other than Apple. I don't even know if Apple's FANG. But, you know, like, you know. Dan, Starbucks isn't a FANG stock. No, no. Well, we talk about growth oh, and where sorry. it's going to come from and who can get it from China. You know what I mean? And right. it's not our mega tech companies. Apple did have that. And now it's actually hurting them on the other way. They haven't even benefited from China yet. This is a stock that, like you said, is trading 20 times, double-digit earnings, sales growth, and they're focused on it longer term. I think that's a great longer-term bull case because they, if they ever are able to make it a coffee culture, they're going to be there. I mean, in the massive, massive way. They don't need to make way. it entirely a coffee culture. I mean, I, they're yeah. winning, and they look. They're hiring people locally. They're growing this organically. I like how they're they're growing their China trade. They, they've been at this a while. Headline what? there from Amazon: raising the price of its Prime annual plan effective May first. Oh. Do you think? Do you think uh, here's do you think anybody will flinch? Anybody no. out there who's a prime member going to be like, oh, you're raising the prices. I'm going to ditch me. No way. No way. That's, no way. that's, one, that's one shipment of, of bad yeah. sneakers, guys. First of all, I mean, again. How much are they raising the prices? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. You know, he Whatever says that is, as fine, if I we'll shut. I've said this a number of times. The next thing I buy online will be the first thing I buy online. I am not there so to go to uh, 119 from 99 a year. Starbucks, real quick. I know the Amazon thing from, is fascinating. That's a big boost. That's a big boost. The concern I have about Starbucks. Yeah. briefly is margins in Asia Pacific were lower and margins in the Americas were lower so we can talk about valuation which is right but if the margin deceleration would be a concern for me um, Amazon shares are up seven percent right now in the after-hour session still ahead it's a big tech earnings extravaganza here on fast money we're talking about Amazon Microsoft and Intel also on the move after hours Amazon again new record high here up seven percent Intel soaring to its highest level since 2000 we will bring you all the latest headlines from the company conference calls right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money Time for our big tech earnings whip. Let's get to a, an earnings alert on Amazon. Deidre Bose is in San Francisco with the latest. Deidre. Hey, Melissa, just a few minutes into the Amazon earnings call, CFO Brian Osofsky saying that Amazon would be raising the price of its annual prime plan in the U.S. from $100, from $99 to $119. Have a listen to what he said. So effective May 11th, uh, we're going to increase the price of our U.S. annual plan from $99 to $119 for new members. Uh, the new price will apply to renewals starting on June 16th. Now, just before that, he said that the value of Prime to customers has never been greater, but he also pointed out that the cost is also high, as, of course, Amazon is going into new businesses and offering more and more to its Prime members. This is important because last week we finally got, for the first time, a number on how many Prime members Amazon actually has. Jeff Bezos, in his annual letter to shareholders, saying that Amazon has more than 100 million Prime members. Um, so the price will be going up for existing members at a later date, but immediately, or almost immediately, May 1st for new members. Um, so, guys, we'll get back on the call and let you know what else we hear. All right. Thank you very much, Deidre Bosa. Let's get straight to Fast Money friend Gene Munster, who's been standing by in the red phone listening into this call. Gene, this could be very meaningful. I mean, I would imagine that the churn related to a price increase would be minuscule to very low. Um, and in terms of revenues, this is significant. I mean, this is, I don't want to say significant in the, in the context of the total revenue of Amazon, but this is important. It is important, Melissa, and let me just put some quick context on it. For, as an analyst, the math doesn't get any easier than this kind of math. They told us recently there's 100 million prime subs, price increases by $20. That's $2 billion a year in annual pure profit. Uh, this is 
all incremental. And so I'm going to try to put that in perspective for next year, kind of 2019. That's going to add about 4% to the bottom line. So this is a big deal and I think speaks to how uh, connected people are or committed these prime members are to the Amazon platform. I mean, we saw this with Netflix as well. They raised prices and that was also pure profit and people basically didn't flinch. Yeah, I don't think most consumers are going to flinch. They were use the earnings call as a platform to try to sell people on why you got to stick with this. And one of the metrics that they gave out was that there's 100 million items now that are delivered for free over two days, Prime, uh, which is one of the benefits, obviously, of Prime. And that number in 2014 or 2016 was 20 million. So we've had just kind of some exponential growth in the number of items that, that qualifies that. And as you said, no one's going to flinch at this. This is uh, uh, it's a big number that's going to get added to Amazon's bottom line. Gene, it's Karen. Let me ask something. Did you have anything in your model for next year for a price increase for, for Prime subscribers? Zero. We didn't. I didn't. We did not. And I did not pick up that from investors either. So I think that this is a surprise. And the magnitude's a surprise, too. A typical price increase would be 10%. They're doing it 20% this time. Gene, do you think that this signals the, the first price increase since 2014? Does it signal that they're going to start spending a lot more on content? Obviously, they give that content for free to Prime members. This is video content. Yeah, I think that uh, I'm glad you brought that up because this uh, there's a very I'm going to run out of adjectives to describe how uh, powerful of a quarter this has been. And in particular, around the profitability, basically double what people had expected. But I want to remind uh, people about a philosophy that Amazon has, which is they have talked in the past about flexing their profitability muscle to remind investors the type of leverage in the model. That's what they're doing this quarter. So I bet in this call they will probably remind analysts, don't get carried away with these higher margins. They're going to invest in things like Prime, like you mentioned, and, and uh, other products. The other could be in healthcare, uh, who knows, and new forms of Echo. Uh, so expect uh, this is really good. Don't want to uh, take anything away from the quarter, but I would expect some tempered optimism around how the margins are going to play out over the next year. You sounded pretty jazzed about the quarter overall, Gene. I mean, even just when the first press release dropped, how would you grade the quarter? I mean, it, it was uh, very few A's out there. I guess it was an A before, and then when they did that price increase, um, I hate to say it, but it's an A+. plus. Wow. So I you would buy the stock tomorrow up 6%. I, I think that this company is going to answer your question is we're still believers in Amazon. I think the stock does move higher over time. And part of the reason is that these are still early quickly is that retail is going to get still systematically taken apart by Amazon. This concept of dropping things off in your car while you're at work. I mean, it's brilliant how they're attacking this. They're going to gain mind share in AWS acceleration from 43 in September, 45 and 49 percent mm -hmm. in the March quarter, I think, is testimony to a killer product in the growing market. And so uh, that's an A-plus type of a quarter. All right, Gene, good to see you. Thank you. Gene Munster. Thank Loop, you. Loop Ventures. Guy Dami, you agree with Gene. A-plus. A-plus I mean, on the plus. quarter. So you don't just you throw A-pluses. I mean, you well, don't Melissa throw knows what that means. willy-nilly. <laughs> and Tim and I was just saying we never got one, not, so it's sort of not. foreign to us. You can but throw the, me in there. Amazon's, <laughs> what they get, what is it, when he says they're going to put the things in my car, what is he, what is he talking about? Explain that. goodbye, and then they'll go into your, they're working on a relationship. My keys? I'm not exactly sure how exactly it will don't work. Don't make a face at me, Dan. It's a legitimate question. Well, you didn't watch the anyway, news yesterday? I mean, I don't want them putting stuff in my you. car. Okay. Anyway, anyway, that, I think that's it's all a ridiculous quarter. Okay. We said, look, at operating margins were almost 4%, twice what the street was looking for. It's crazy.
I, Gene didn't mention at all concern about margins in this company. I mean, I, I think if anything, he thinks they're going to get better. So um, if that's the rub, but I'm not well, sure that, you know. I don't no, what he said was actually they could go down as they start to spend more. Right. So don't get too optimistic. That that's always been the push pull on Amazon. Right. But, but again, th this is an analyst community that at times has really pushed at Amazon to show them that they can make money. And I don't hear any of that in Gene right now. He's going A plus on him. I mean, A plus. Sorry, it. guy. Yeah. What do you mean, guy? What well, am, you what said a, it. I mean, I'm just amazed what an extraordinarily, extraordinarily powerful machine it is. I'd like to see some of that AWS, the competitors as well. I think we'll be seeing more from that. Google. I, I guess the question that. is, does Wall Street still believe in how right. Amazon so spends answer, the money? I'll right. So they could you. raise $2 billion in pure revenue, they, they but it's assumed that they're going to spend it somehow. As long as they don't care and as long as they're growing sales the way they do, when you think about this is a company that maybe at best will have $200 uh, billion dollars, okay, in retail sales this year. We have a five and a half trillion dollar retail market in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Less than 10 percent of that is e-commerce. Now, people think Amazon is maybe getting 50 percent of the growth there. As long as they don't care about increased profitability, then they care about the top line, then the story's going to continue to work. Coming up, Intel seeing a huge beat on earnings. The stock is soaring to its highest level since 2000 after hours. We'll bring you the very latest from that company's conference call. We are live at the Nasdaq market site in New York City's Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Intel surging after hours, hitting its highest level since 2000. Let's get to Aditi Roy in San Francisco with the latest from the earnings call. Aditi. Hi there, Melissa. That's right. Intel shares are soaring right now after a big earnings win. A key metric, the data center group revenue number that came in at $5.2 billion versus $4.84 billion estimates. That number referring to chips used in servers to support cloud computing systems. That's a part of the business analysts are watching very closely. It's also one that the company is investing in since cloud is such a growing category and more and more industries are shifting towards the cloud. To that end, Intel's data-centric businesses grew 25% year-over-year and accounted for nearly half of its first quarter revenue. The company also beat on revenue coming from their client computing group, which refers to PC and mobile chips. Two headwinds in this category, competition from companies like AMD and the decline of PC sales, which is prompting the company to focus more on its data-centric businesses. CEO Brian Krasanich also gave investors an update on how the company is tackling the Spectre meltdown vulnerability. Intel and the industry stepped up for a tough challenge as we responded to the security vulnerabilities known as Spectre and Meltdown. I'm pleased with our progress and proud of how Intel and the industry partners addressed this issue collaboratively with transparency and with customer-first urgency. We're delivering against our Security First pledge, and we've now rolled out microcode-based mitigations for all Intel products launched over the last nine years that require protection against Spectre and Meltdown. Memory is another focus of the company. That business broke the $1 billion mark for the first time, putting it in line with analyst expectations. Melissa, back to you. All right, Aditi, thank you. Um, Karen, when we had, uh, were talking about what could replace Facebook and Fang, Right. You had mentioned Bang. Intel. Well, sort of. as a weird one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a little different kind of. Uh, but what? Fang. 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 I well, thought it was going to be gain if we. Oh, yeah. We made yeah, it. So anyway. 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 Yeah. I, I mean, like maybe, Intel. I do like Intel. I think we've all liked Intel. One of the very few things we agree on. I mean, that was a pretty extraordinary quarter. And their guidance was raised. I yeah. mean, this is, this is a business that's just hitting on maybe not every single cylinder, but the big cylinders very hard.
Well, how, I don't know how long you can count on Data Center doing what it did. I mean, it was 30% of revenues in 2017 full, full year. They said it was 50% in the quarter. Um, it's about 45% margin on it, so it's a high-margin business right now. If this keeps up, obviously, I think analysts are going to be changing their models dramatically. So um, agree. I think there's much left to do here. All right. Well, earnings season um, is underway, as you know. You may be wondering just how much your favorite stock is set to move on its report. Well, for that, we turn to the options market. Huh. That's what we talk about when we say implied moves. So, Dan, why don't you break this down sure. for us at the Plasma? I think it's an interesting topic. And yeah, we guy. talk about this all the Careful. time. We talk about the implied move in the option market. And one of the reasons why I really focus on that is because let's just see how investors are positioning into this, how much risk they think this one-day event will be. And so we get asked the question all the time, how do you figure that out? Well, since weekly options have been listed over the last few years in almost every large cap stock, there's a really easy way to do it. And I want to use Intel today as an example. But first and foremost, you want to look at the at-the-money weekly straddle. The case of Intel, it closed today at 53. The call and the put at the 53 strike, you put that premium together, that is the weekly at the money straddle in Intel, and then you divide by the stock or the strike price, depending upon which is closer at this moment. So let's just look at this. So yesterday on this very show, I said the implied move in the options market was about 5%, and that was the case today. Like I said, it closed at 53. The at the money weekly call that expires tomorrow was offered at $1.35. The at the money put, the 53 strike put, was offered at $1.35. You put that together, that's $2.70. That is the implied movement between now and tomorrow's close. And you divide that by 53, and you get 5%. So if you buy it, you buy the implied move, you need that movement one way or another today. 270 plus the strike 53 is 5570. You're going to need it above that tomorrow to make money, or 5030 or lower on the downside. It's not going there, it's going higher. All right, thanks for that, Dan. Sure. For more options action, check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, final trades. Tim. You like Boeing? How about the Boeing of Brazil? Embraer, ERJ. Chairwoman. Yeah, Intel. I liked it. I wouldn't sell it here, which is similar to buying it. Dan? Yeah, Microsoft. I like Carter's call. I think it goes to 100. Key. 52 week high in Macy's today, Mel. Hmm. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.